The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation He provides for all who submit to Him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. Ready to go here. All right, everybody, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6 today. We're kind of nearing the end of our march of um, this, this letter that Paul said he wrote, hoping that he'd come to Ephesus to see his son in the faith, Timothy, and to see the brethren in Ephesus that he loved so dearly. You can see Acts chapter 20 to see some more about that. Uh, but since he knew it'd be a little while or maybe a really long while, he said in chapter 3 and verses 14 and 15 that he wrote this letter so that people would know how they ought to behave themselves in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So God's people are God's house in the world. They're God's family in the world. And every family has rules. Every house has rules. Every place um, has rules for how you're supposed to live. And not just rules in terms of like do's and don'ts, although we've seen a lot of those in First Timothy, but even just um, uh, uh, broader philosophies and uh, bases for our ethics, for our relationships, for our conduct in relation to other people in the world. That's what we've been studying the past several weeks as we go through First Timothy. And uh, we're going to be looking here at the end of this book about a really important topic, and that is contentment and godliness, and how those go together for those who are really devoted to Jesus Christ and what that means for us. What else we need to kind of set it up today, uh, Caleb, before we get into the text here? Uh, man, you did a good job. Uh... Uh, the last, so I think we left off like in verse, uh, either in verse three or five or something like that. And I was just thinking about like, um, verses three to five are kind of a good summary of what happens if you don't teach diligently on the, the doctrines of, of how people are to conduct. Um, they're going to become, or this is who they are. And this is what's, what's going to produce in, in the church. And so, you know, what we got to figure out is how do we, how do we conduct ourselves in a way that's pleasing to God and, uh, and do so, learn to be content with that life, uh, which is, I guess, what we're going to talk about today. Sweet, sweet. Well, how about we pray and then uh, we'll, we'll read our text and start talking for, uh, for our discussion today. Father in heaven. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves us and gives us hope in a very disappointing and burdensome and hopeless kind of world. We pray, God, that everything that we say, all the comments that are made uh, in the chat today would be constructive, that we'd all ask good questions of ourselves, of the text, of our own hearts, so that we can determine how we can live better for you in this world, how we can be more content and more joyful in your love for us in this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we'll read First Timothy 6. We'll read verses 3 through 19. And uh, I don't know if we've made a pitch on this for a while, so I'll make a pitch here. Um, if you're on, there, on, on here uh, streaming or if you come across this later on, uh, drop a comment in the comments here. Don't don't hold back. Oh, we want to hear what everybody has to say. Uh, if you have any questions about the text, feel free to ask about it. If we don't, we're not able to get to them in this discussion. It's not because we're trying to ignore you on purpose or we don't think it's important. It may just be outside the purview of what we're able to cover today, or we may not have a very good answer. We may be able to chat more privately. Also, if you want to follow up afterward, 
send us messages so we can talk more about the word of God, whether that's something about the scripture itself or you trying to understand how to apply the scripture. We want to be here to help. A lot of times we say at the end, I'm saying at the beginning, just in case we, uh, we forget that, but especially throughout the discussion, please jump in with all your comments, perspectives. Everyone that does that really helps a lot uh, with some really good stuff. Um, Kale, you want to um, kind of pitch this, uh, this uh, thought question before we read the text? Yeah, so I just I just dropped in the comments there. Uh, I want us as we read about contentment, and we read we're going to learn a little bit about contentment and how to handle that, particularly as as well as the money get involved in life, etc. I just want you to be thinking about having your mind like, hey, think about in your life the times where you felt the most content, and what was it that produced that contentment? And maybe a flip side question that is, think about times in your life where you were most discontent. Uh, right. And, uh, and see if there's any connection correlation there. So. That's important. Yeah. And this is going to help us with that. So here we go. Let's do this thing. First Timothy six, three to 19. I'm reading from the ESV today. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from the reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Man, so a lot of helpful truths in this text, a lot of timely truths in this text for us. Um, maybe just getting getting started here, kind of tying this into what we've been looking at in First Timothy. Um, I mentioned already, I think verses three to five is a pretty good description of what happens in churches where the guidelines that, that Paul's given in this letter are not followed. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, when you go away from the, uh, the following carefully, the guidelines that, that, that the apostles have given through the authority of Jesus Christ for, for what, 
life is to be like in the household of God. This is what happens. Like these are the kinds of things that get produced. Interesting to me though, that at the bottom of that um, in verse five, he says that a big part of what's caused this is these are men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Um, that just kind of stood out to me, I guess, because it ties in to uh, what we're going to talk about today. Um, how, how is godliness a means of gain? What kind of gain should we be searching for in, in the kingdom of God, etc.? Um, I don't know. You got other thoughts on verses three to five? Anything that jumped out at you or, um, or you think we need to emphasize here? No, not really, except just to maybe add that um, one problem of being discontented or one, one manifestation of discontentment is whenever I look at things that God has said, I'm like, no, that's not good enough. I need something more or I need something different. And we may not always think about it in those terms, but ultimately if I take what God has revealed in the scriptures and then I say, no, no, that's not good enough. I need something more, something different. That shows I'm not content with the way God has set things up with the, uh, the, the instructions and guidelines and restrictions and responsibilities uh, and the benefits that God's given. I say, that's not good enough, God. I need a better benefit. I need more. I need something different. It manifests in doctrinal terms and it manifests in our treatment of other people. And of course, with our, our wallet. And this text kind of shows that. Yeah, man, I think that's exactly right. Um, and I think that also shows there's a close connection between contentment and trust too. Um, Cause if I'm not okay with what God's saying, I don't really trust that if I'm not, if I'm not content with what God is saying, then I, then I, I'm proving I'm revealing that I don't really trust God uh, and God's ways to be best or, um, you know, helpful or ideal. So, and not to get ahead of any particulars, but I think that's why whenever Paul turns to Timothy individually, or whenever he gives specific instructions about how to handle wealth in the world, he speaks about faith and hope. And that's, I mean, it goes back to your, your point about trust. So the, if, if I'm not willing to be content with God's, the doctrines God's laid out or whatever amount of wealth, or in my perception, however little wealth God gives me, if I'm not content with those things, it's exactly like you're saying. It's a faith thing. It's a, do I really think God's good and I can count on anything? Yeah. Amen to that. So just to kind of get us going into uh, the, um, <laughs> the text here. I don't know if there's ever been a time in history where these verses have been more relevant. I'm, I'm probably sure I'm sure there have been times in history where they they're just as relevant, but man, like it's, it, it's, it's, um, it's not really much of an exaggeration to say that this text is a, is a total indictment against our culture, like in the way that we think in the way that we act in the way that we feel about life. Um, you know, one of the things I was thinking about as I was reading this was uh, how often we give lip service to the phrase money can't buy you happiness. Um, but we also give life service to the hope that it might after all, like, you know, we say, yeah, money can't buy your happiness. But actually, we live in such a way as if we think that somehow in the end, like, this might work out, like money might actually give me more, like, you know, if I just get a little bit more wealth life's going to be okay. Um, and in fact, that's the whole goal of like our advertising culture, right? Is uh, the whole point of advertising is to tempt us to think if I only had just a bit more money, uh, then I'd be content. Uh, I don't know. You're smiling about something there. What I literally, so I've got my iPad running over here, right? 
literally while you were doing your thing right there, I got yet another email from Amazon trying to convince me to buy something. Like literally yeah. popped up on my screen like, hey, buy this. Here's some stuff you looked at that you haven't bought yet. Don't you want to buy that? You know, so it's just really timely. Yeah. And this has already started to happen to me. Um, you know, if you if someone asks you like, hey, what do you want for, for Christmas? And you respond, actually, you know, I'm good. Like I, I, I'm, I'm content with what I got. Like that, that is blasphemy in our culture. Like you, what, what is wrong with you? Like, I, we know you want something. We know you need something. Um, you know, that's just like the whole, if you just think of like our culture and the way we think about money and wealth, it's so, so different from what we see here in first Timothy six. So maybe just to get us started, um, you know, how do you see Paul? And I'll, I'll ask you this, Ben, I'll drop this also in the comments for those of you who are joining us online if you want to um drop in some thoughts here really appreciate it as well i see mark's already posted something here but i want you to think about like how does paul define contentment here and how does he you know how does he explain it in this text if you were just gonna use this text to think about like a definition for contentment um or an explanation for for it for it um what do you notice in the text uh, related to that uh ben uh, I guess there's two ways. They're both negative. So I, I don't know. There's probably positive, uh, positive versions of these statements. But w- one would be uh, not wanting uh, more than what you have. Mm-hmm. He says, hey, if you've got food and clothing, be cool with that. That's it. So contentment is I'm not sitting around wanting more, just thinking about what I expect or maybe what I deserve or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then maybe verse 10 is not loving what I do have, you know, um, or, or, or loving what I don't have. I mean, just not loving money, wealth. And I don't think he just means here dollars. I mean, here he's talking about however you count wealth in our culture, that's counted by how many dollars you have in your bank account, but wealth gets counted in different ways in different cultures. And even in our culture, wealth can be money or it can be how many pairs of shoes I have or what brand of shoes I have, or, you know, whatever, whatever the latest electronic thing is or whatever. So, to me, that's at least two ways that he defines it here is not uh, dwelling on what you don't have, not wanting more and more uh, and not loving either the things you do have or loving the things you don't have. That's a couple to me. What, what do you yeah. see? Here? Yeah. So I, I was thinking about this text I, recently. I don't know if you saw one of our friends who just moved to West Africa, post a video on contentment uh, on his YouTube channel. And he was talking about <laughs> he was talking about, I think, this text. Uh, in part. Um, But since moving to West Africa, like things that he kind of took it for granted, he's having to learn to like live without right now, um, including like uh, not having electricity for days on end, or um, it's really hot over there. And yet sometimes all you want is a shower and there's no water, (laughs) like no water run. And he was just talking about how, um, how, how the past month since being there, it's been a real, real challenge. Um, and struggle to uh, to learn to be content. You know, when you read verse eight, um, if we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. I mean, that is a really shocking statement there from Paul. Like, hey, really? That's all I need is like a covering over my head and uh, some clothing to wear and some food to eat. With that, I should be content. Um, man, it's really a a uh, kind of a shocking 
shocking statement there from Paul. But I think it kind of speaks to this idea that for the Christian, for somebody who's in the household of God, the treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue, as we sing, right? I mean, like our treasures are not in the things of this world. And we understand, verse 7, that we brought nothing into the world. And so we can't, you know, we're not going to be able to, uh, to take, take it with us to heaven either. Um, so an understanding of that leads me to not value the things that the world values the same. And one of the, like the Christian distinctives, one of the things that should be different about Christians from, uh, from people of the world is that uh, Christians learn to be okay with a simple life. Uh, Christians don't pursue possessions. They pursue, pursue simplicity in life. They, there's, there's this understanding that because I have Christ, I don't need all the things that other people believe they need in order to be happy. Um, and I think Paul's kind of revealing that here. Food and covering is enough for me because I have the Lord. If, it, if he didn't have the Lord, I don't know that he'd feel that way. But because he has the Lord, he says, you know what? These other things, take it or leave it. Yeah. I mean, so much is, is contingent on that, right? He said there actually is gain with God, in godliness with contentment, you know, but it's all predicated on godliness. Like the only way you can really be full and satisfied is if, uh, if you're really pursuing God, which I think might, might be worth mentioning as another way of defining uh, or, or I don't know if it's really defining contentment, but it certainly is a, is a component of how to be content. And that is to really chase after God, really be full on God. That's the only way we're ever going to be content. That's the only way we're ever going to be able to reach that point where we're really not in love with money and we're not constantly dwelling on the things we don't have and that we want and not being satisfied with our circumstances is when we're really pursuing God. Yeah. Amen to that. So a few comments here that are kind of related to this, this point. Um, Mark said, it's easy to fall into the temptation that money and possessions will fully satisfy us. I think that's exactly right. I think that's why, why Paul is writing this, you know, as a reminder, like, Hey, it's not going to satisfy you because Satan is so often tempting us to believe that it will. Um, and, uh, and, uh, David mentioned it's that time of year, Lexus December to remember that will make us happy. I mean, you know, seriously, like that's the thing, like, Hey, all these gadgets and all these companies are like, Hey, you got to have this in order to be happy. Um, but Tony mentioned that, uh, when I, when I, when I'm looking into my worldly needs, even if they're good things, that's when my contentment is often challenged. Um, and I think that's right. Uh, which Mark added the text. Um, was alluding to earlier for where your treasure is, our hearts will be there as well. Um, so I think, I think there's a lot, a lot of truth to what's being shared here. And, and these are really important truths. I want to kind of dig in one, one other related question to this based on these verses we just read, Ben, um, and I'll give you a chance to share first and then drop it in the comments for, for other people who want to jump in as well. Um, but why, why is it such a problem? So actually, like Paul basically here says that even having like a desire for wealth is a problem. Mm-hmm. Like if you Actually, want to- just, uh, that's kind of the thing he says is the problem. So yeah. He doesn't condemn the fact that there are some rich Christians at the end of the chapter. Right. Actually, and he doesn't imply they're going to become poor Christians. He just says, actually, they're rich. Here's what they do. The real issue is this issue of well, our desires, our intentions, our, our hopes, our dreams. So, so yeah. So then my question is, why is like, because a lot of us, we read this and we're like, hey, 
you know what? A, a desire for a little bit more. I mean, that doesn't seem harmful. That doesn't seem like dangerous. Why does Paul and why, why should we come to see even a desire for wealth as something that could be that something that not only could be, but is quite dangerous? Well, I love the language in verse nine. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a trap, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So he has like three words there, uh, fall, snare, and plunge that are all like basically things that happen to animals whenever they're being hunted. And, uh, and I gotta be honest, even though I grew up around, I think everybody I knew hunted, but I never, never, I've never been hunting in my whole life. But, uh, from what I understand about hunting is a lot of it, at least when you're trying to trap animals is you want to distract them. You know, you want to turn their attention somewhere else, or you at least want them to not notice the bad thing. So to me, that's what it's about. It's about how it turns our attention in the wrong direction. And then we get just trapped in the system of the world. I mean, I'm thinking about two passages that go along with this one that are, you know, can't carry similar ideas. You've got first uh, John two, 15 through 17, all that is don't love the world or the things that are in the world. All that's in the world is passing away. And the lust of the flesh, but two of those things really relate to wealth, the lust of the eyes and the pride of possessions. Those two things are just of the world and it's easy to fall into that trap. Um, but it just turns our attention into the world, which is evaporating and disintegrating and being destroying itself and will be ultimately destroyed in the end. The other one is what Jesus said in Matthew 6 when he was talking about wealth. Um, Mark referenced that earlier with the where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The very next verse, he says, watch out where your eye, watch out the condition of your eye. If your eye is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your, eye, then your whole body will be filled with darkness. And it's interesting. He says that right after that statement about where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And immediately before he talks about anxiety based on wealth. And so to me, that's the whole thing is it just turns our eyes in the wrong direction. Uh, it's not something that is pushing us toward godliness. It's something that's pushing us toward worldliness and this world's going up in flames. So to me, that's kind of the big, the big reason why he keeps hitting this desire thing. Yeah, man, I think that's right on. So, you know, it, it did stand out to me when he talks about those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful, harmful desires. Reminded me of so many proverbs uh, that talk about um, snares that young people fall into. I posted one of them here in the comments was Proverbs um, 15 and verse 16, which says better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Um, and, uh, man, how true is that? Uh, you know, there are so many people that not only had a desire to get rich, but actually became rich. Uh, and actually what came with the wealth, what they weren't expecting to come with the wealth was a whole lot of turmoil, a whole lot of, a whole lot of problems. Um, we'll come back to Paul's instructions for wealthy people here at the end, but man, I, one of the things that we need to get into our head is that wealth is not the solution to our problems. Um, and uh, wealth is not going to resolve any of the problems that are in me. Another proverb that came to mind here, uh, Proverbs 30, beginning in verse 7, um, where the proverb writer says, 
Um, two things I have at, I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me and give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Man, a lot of truth in that. What, what, really the greatest danger of all this to just parallel what you were saying earlier is if we seek the things of this world, those things are passing away. In contrast, God is going to endure forever. The greatest thing in this world is to know the Lord. And the danger of wanting to be wealthy is the pursuit of wealth will distract me from knowing the Lord. In fact, the achievement of gaining that wealth may lead me to say, you know what? Who is the Lord? Like, I don't need the Lord. I'm good on my own. And so there's a lot of danger here. Um, and I think that's why in verse 10, as Tony pointed out in the comment, they wander from the faith and stab themselves with many pain. The most dangerous thing about wanting to get rich is those who desire to get rich often end up wandering away from the faith. And they end up, as a result of leaving the Lord, causing themselves a whole lot of extra turmoil, extra hardships that, wouldn't have, that were not necessary had they sought the Lord with all their heart. Because um, you just can't be pulled in different directions. Going back to that Matthew 6 passage, which is so parallel to this passage here in 1 Timothy 6, um, Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. You're going to despise the one and cling to the other. You just can't do both. You can't serve God and money. It's a little bit like the, the illustration that David uh, uses here. Um, soldiers are provided with what they need to go to battle. They don't need anything extra. And in fact, if they do have things in addition to that, it becomes an impediment for them. We're in a battle against sin. So we go with what is provided to us and we should not look for more. If we do look for more then we lose our focus on Christ, whenever we become fixated on things in this world. And that's the same thing Jesus said. That's the same thing Paul's saying here. We can't wander away. Uh, and that's just inevitably what happens. And I think that's our probably one of our big problems is, I think I can be, you know, just as fixated on what's going on with the stock market as I am be devoted to prayer. Mm -hmm. I think I can be just as invested in which political party takes power with all the, frankly, like primarily it's economic ramifications. That's the main reason people care about political things when you kind of get it down to the bottom line. I think I can be as invested in that as I am about preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that I can spend as many hours working multiple jobs to make as much money as possible as I can serving other people and looking out for my family and encouraging my, well, you can't, you just can't, like it's, it's literally physically impossible to do all that, but we think we can. And Paul's saying, so listen, you got to decide which one are you going to cut bait on? Either you can cut bait on the world or you can cut bait on God. Um, and I love, I love the, uh, the line that was written that if, a lot of people want to uh, seek after the world, chase after the world, and hope they get God thrown in, but it doesn't happen. And actually, you miss out on God and you miss out on the world. But if we aim for heaven, then we'll get it, and we'll get a lot of things on earth thrown in. That's what Jesus promised. All these things will be added to you. That doesn't mean you're going to be a millionaire or you're going to even be like, considered wealthy or successful. But actually, this life will be one because it was with contentment. You're going to enjoy it a lot more because you were seeking the right thing, the thing you were made for in the first place. No, man, that's exactly right. And I was, just, I was just thinking about as we're talking about this, 
you know, uh, as, as Mark and Tony pointed out, the pursuit of wealth causes more, even more problems than we'd expect. And it distracts you and doesn't provide the contentment you seek, especially uh, if it evades your grasp. Um, I would argue, Tony, too, though, even if it even if it doesn't evade your grasp, even if you get it, because think about it, like think about the the more possessions I have, the more it distracts me. Like like if the more the more subscriptions I have to movie sites, the more movies I'm going to watch, like the more access I have to them, the more, um, you know, the more toys I store up here on Earth and the more uh, whatever, you know, those things are that I'm interested in whatever that uh, my pleasure is or the things that I pursue, the more of those things I chase after, um, the more distracted I'm going to be from seeking the Lord. The addition of possessions actually further complicates life. That's why the Lord tells us not to seek that, not to desire that, is because the more you add to your life, the more complicated life becomes. Again, that's not to say that having a lot can necessarily is going to keep you from serving the Lord. It is going, it is to say that having a lot makes it a much greater challenge to serve the Lord. And uh, that's something Jesus repeatedly says, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. There are greater challenges that come with greater resources, uh, greater, um, greater wealth and greater possessions. And so we need to think seriously about that. Yeah. And whether I have a lot of possessions or not, this desire, which is not exclusive to the rich. Like he's not talking to the rich. He's talking to everybody. Right. If I'm sitting around desiring a bunch of stuff, I'm going to fall away from the Lord because my eyes are going to be on the wrong thing, which I think is why in verses 11 through 16, he does the recalibration. Like, don't forget, dude, this is what we're all about. We're not about this stuff here. We're about something else. Yeah. So coming to that, I posted in the comments here, according to the passage, what is to be our response to the temptation to love money and why, and uh, and this is strong language. You know, there's some there are some things you, that some temptations that uh, in scripture you got to fight, but there are some temptations that you, in in scripture you got to flee. Mm-hmm. And in this, he says, flee from these things, you man of God. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And first thought that came to my mind as I read this is that it's not enough to say, okay, I'm not going to chase after wealth. I've got to replace what I used to be chasing after that was destroying me with something better that I am going to chase after. A lot of people get in trouble because they say, you know what? Um, Oh, I'm seeking God now. I'm just going to cut off all this bad stuff from my life. But because they never replace that with anything better, they end up falling right back into the same desires again. Uh, I've fallen victim to that. I'm sure we've all stumbled into that from time to time. Uh, it's a real danger. Therefore, really important for us to think about, uh, it's not enough for me to just flee from these things. I got to find something better to chase after. And that is those treasures in heaven, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Those are the things I'm going to be chasing after. They're going to help me to, um, to, to, to remove that desire for wealth, that desire to get rich, um, because I've replaced it with an even greater desire for things that are more lasting in the end. Yeah. And, and we might say, and I don't think we're doing like a, we're not doing a full-throated review here. We'll probably get into some of that stuff, Lord willing, next time, or whenever we uh, get to talk some more about First Timothy as a whole. But one way to read verse 11 is just look back on things he's already talked about in this letter. 
you know, in other words, throw yourself fully into the, the matters related to the people of God and to God's mission in the world and to the gospel itself. And if we're really um, invested fully in that, we're not going to have that much interest, at least, in investing in the things of the world. That's just not going to be our, our priority, at least. You know, if we do any investing or whatever in, in financial means, it's going to be sort of incidental. It's going to be something that we do only to facilitate chasing after God stuff, you know. Um, and, and I think verse 11 kind of lays that out. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, too, as you read verses 9 and 10, and then the 16, what is like shocking contrast of uh, the picture of someone's life? You know, in verses, in verses nine and 10, uh, Shannara pointed out one of the dangers of chasing wealth is it's hard to get rich in this world without exploiting others. Um, that's one of the snares that people fall into. Um, and, and that chasing riches places value on things that don't actually have value because exactly. the world is passing away. But if you if you look at verse 11 to 16, like, wow, what a different life um, compared to that. A life that's focused on righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance and gentleness, fighting the good fight of faith, taking hold of the eternal life that we were called to, um, you know, uh, you know, testifying before men and keeping the commandments without stain. It's a very different picture uh, of, uh, of, uh, of a life to, to, you know, this is, uh, I think you read a, this book growing up, there was a book I was given growing up called two men. And this is a good, this is a good article to go in that book. You got, you got the one man who loves money and this is how his life goes. Then you got the other man who is content with what he has. And so this is how his life goes. This is where his life is heading. I bet you there is an article in that book on that. We yeah, it probably that. is. That's yeah, that's my bad. No, that's right. And, and Shannara brings up a great point. And actually in verse 11, think about how like every one of these good qualities, they're the opposite in some way of worldly um, gain. Yeah. So think about how, I mean, we all know stories or we can look in the mirror and think of our own personal histories of times where we lied at work to, uh, you know, to not get in trouble with the boss and get fired or lied on our taxes so we wouldn't have to pay as much or lied on an immigration form so that I could have a more advantageous, you know, um, situation, you know, in, in this country or whatever. Um, and so I, I didn't do righteousness. I lied. I, I did an unrighteous thing. Um, think about how many times people just get, people intentionally choose jobs that end up having a bend toward the world. And some jobs are more neutral than others. Uh, some are more worldly than others. Uh, but choosing a job that intentionally bends toward the world or encourages me to do mostly worldly things and not godly things or even anti-godly things. Uh, that's not godliness. Uh, think about how the love of money is building your life or trusting in riches in this world and putting our hope in. It's not faith in God. And of course, to Shannara's point specifically about exploitation, it's true that a lot of um, um, pursuits of money exploit other people. It's not love. Love is about giving. Love is about sacrificing. Love is about doing what's best for someone else, not for myself. That's not the love of money. That's not the pursuit of self-interest and wealth. And of course, uh, the same goes for steadfastness. I'm not steadfast in my character behavior. I behave however the winds are blowing economically and I do whatever it takes to, that's the only thing. So if the market's up then I'm going with whatever that is and goes down. Yeah, I'm, it, the point is all these qualities are opposed to the things that are necessary if you're going to be in love with money. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And I, I'm just thinking about here, like this whole way of life in these verses is encouraging us to just, Hey, take our eyes off of the world and being consumed with jealousy for the material wealth that other people have got and wanting what they've had. And instead, what Paul is saying is, hey, take your eyes off of that. That actually isn't going to satisfy you. Look around at the people who are wealthy and popular and famous and so gifted and talented and, they, and they've got it all. And look at how miserable they are. And then step back and look at, look up, lift up your head, look at where God is calling you to go. Um, and see what at, what will happen if you will submit to God's will. And, what, and, and really, if we'll do that, we'll discover uh, in the process that we are actually beginning to live the life of the coming age that he describes here in, uh, in verse 12. Um, you know, we are actually starting to take hold of that eternal life. That's not something that is only in the future, that's something that we take hold of now, and we learn to live like that and to, uh, and to live that out even in the present time. Yeah. So what do you make of, I mean, he's telling us to one, turn our back on worldly greed, on materialism, on self, the pursuit of self-interest, and instead pursue godliness. Uh, what do you make of the way he talks about Jesus? Because this is, it's interesting at the beginning of the letter, he has a similar kind of praise section to Jesus there. He's talking about his own personal story, his salvation. And he has this little bit about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Um, but what do you make out of the, um, the way he talks about Jesus here in this context, especially because it, it, we just read it by itself. It's like a really cool, just great way of talking about Jesus, um, uh, sovereignty, his power, his greatness, but in this context is particularly interesting. So what, what do you, what do you make of that? What's going on here? Well, yeah. So I just posted in the comments, um, how does this description of Jesus encourage us as we seek a proper attitude towards wealth or towards money? Um, and I think in so many ways, uh, you know, this description of Jesus is meant to teach us, like it's meant to instruct us or to kind of reshape our perspective as uh, Pamela mentioned um, I think it was Pamela who mentioned, uh, Pamela and Tony mentioned setting our mind and our hearts on things above. Uh, so the one thing that, that, the one thing that just jumps right out at me is uh, he talks about what the Lord possesses in these verses. Um, so like a lot of, uh, a lot of the desire for wealth is we think like, Hey, if I possess this, as has already been stated over and over again, if I possess this, it will satisfy me. One of the things he's trying to help us see here is that actually what the Lord Jesus Christ possesses, the sovereign King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, he alone possesses immortality and dwells in approachable light. I think this is one way of Paul kind of reminding Timothy and reminding the saints who are going to read this when Timothy uh, shares it with the church, reminding them, hey, all those other people that you're chasing after and all those other things that you're chasing after, they actually don't have what's going to matter in the end. Uh, they, they, they don't possess it. He alone possesses immortality and he alone dwells in unapproachable light. Um, you know, you can buy the nicest home in the United States of America and it's not going to have unapproachable light in it. Um, that's only Jesus who has that kind of light. 
you can you can take you can take all the greatest health supplements. You can have the greatest workout extra exercise regimen. You can be in the greatest health. You know what? Eventually, your body is gonna is going to decay. Eventually, your body is going to decay. He alone possesses immortality. Um, so that's one thing that jumped out at me. I'm sure there's a lot of other things here. What do you see, Ben? Uh, and any of you who are joining us in the comments, feel free to add. How does this description of Jesus encourage us and help us as we seek a proper attitude towards wealth and money? No, I mean, I think you hit it. Uh, the other thing that's striking me is like the way he talks about Jesus here is uh, not only the immortality thing, but his power, that he's the sovereign, that kind of stuff. And uh, maybe maybe the reason is wealth is power. I mean, this is that the more stuff you have, the more power you have, the more uh, security you have, maybe is another way to say that. And so he's saying, hey, if you want power and security, the way you'll find that is through Jesus. He has all power. He has all security. Also, just enrichment in general. There's other pleasures that maybe come from that besides security, besides, you know, uh, unending life. Verse 13, he says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. So worldly materialism is all about collecting things for myself, getting things. And he says, well, look, actually, you don't have to worry about that. If you would just fight the good fight of the, the faith in Christ Jesus, God will give you all things. Coming back to the Matthew 6 passage, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all the rest of these things will be added to you. Whatever you need will be taken care of. That doesn't mean you're going to live rich in this life, but it means you will be enriched in the ways that matter, and forever you will be cared for. You will be enriched by God. So to me, those are the only two other things that kind of stood up besides, I think, oh, you kind of hit it right on the head. But I like that idea that hey, whatever power I think I may need or security I may need to provide for myself through worldly materialism, Jesus has more of that. And I don't have to take for myself. I don't have to have that stress of, um, you know, kind of uh, contorting the world to my best interest. God has my best interest at heart. And we know that through what he did with Jesus and therefore, he's going to do it with those of us who are with Jesus as well. Yeah, amen. Amen. David mentioned uh, Jesus is king, and he has the greatest possession. So I think he's hitting on that idea that you mentioned as well as uh, the one I, I brought up. Um, Chinara mentioned that uh, Jesus was who he was before he came into the world. And the same when he left, because he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I think understanding the value we have to Jesus without any possessions um, even as sinners, we have value to God. Uh, and I, I, that is, that is certainly right. The fact that Jesus, and you think about that lays down, we think, Hey, I got to have this wealth to have power to live. Jesus had all the power and he laid it all down for us. He's showing us that the key to contentment is not holding on to power. It's not right. in having power. It's actually through laying down your power for others. And Mark mentioned there too, the fact that God will provide us with what we really need is enough to make us truly content. Um, I think that's exactly, exactly right. Yeah. Amen. So here's the interesting part after all this stuff. I mean, I think if someone was listening to this conversation, um, this would be, and I mean, we have in some respects on purpose because we believe it uh, been kind of a wealth bashing session, like money is bad. Stuff is bad. If you have stuff, then you're probably bad. So what do we do in verses 17 through 19? Uh, not that it, it's necessarily a, a, a balance beam here, but there is some, there's a little more to, a little more color to, to add into the picture here. 
not to counteract all the things we've been talking about, but to kind of complete the picture of what, what do you think we get out of verse 17 through 19 to help us think about the issue of wealth um, and possessions and stuff in the world? Well, that's a really important question um, because uh, I'm looking at the people who are commenting on here and, uh, and, and I know most of you all. So uh, I think I can speak to this. Um, you know, all of us can look at people and we know people who have more than us. So we could say, you know, I'm poor. I'm not like that people. But actually, I know I, I've traveled a little bit too. And all of us are, are filthy rich. Like we are filthy rich. We have so much uh, that it, we have. If you think about the, if you think about this from a global perspective, um, we have a ton. So actually, to me, the end of this is actually quite comforting and encouraging while also being very sobering. Because if we're honest as Americans, man, we are wealthy. Uh, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't for this study today look up some of the uh, stats about like global mo- money, but I, I can't remember the exact percentage. But man, there's a good portion of the world that lives on less than one U.S. dollar per day. Um, there's a good portion of the world that lives like that. Uh, and if you think about that, we are extremely wealthy. Therefore, when Paul writes to the rich here, don't say, oh, well, that's not for me because I don't have them. No, he's writing to us. These are instructions for us. So the question then is, how does being in Christ um, transform um, our view of wealth and the way we think about wealth and the way that we use our wealth? Um, That's, I think, the real key here. And, And it starts with, this, uh, this thing that the Proverbs were warning against, one of our prayers is, God, don't make me too wealthy so that I don't become proud and say, who is the Lord? So one of the first things that needs to happen because I'm in Christ, is, in my view of wealth, is I need to remember that apart from God, I have no wealth. Therefore, I should not be conceited and think that I've got that what I have is because of my own greatness, my own giftedness, my own talent, my own, uh, you know, uh, just hard work. I've achieved all this. Um, the truth is everything I have is a gift from God that he has given me and entrusted me with to use for his glory. So it starts with not being conceited and not putting my trust in or my hope in uh, the uncertainty of riches, which I think is closely connected to that. Because if I, if I become proud, it's because I think that these riches are actually going to sustain me. But if 2020 has taught us anything, it is that riches are quite uncertain and we shouldn't be putting our hope in them because they could be here today and gone tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, verse 17 is a great um, confrontation of my view of wealth. What it tells me is wealth means nothing about me. It doesn't, it doesn't say anything about me as a person. Either having a bunch of it or not having it doesn't necessarily say anything about me as a person. I shouldn't be proud of it, therefore. Also, it doesn't tell me anything about the future. Having a bunch of money doesn't tell me anything about how well my future is going to go. Because for one, I can get hit by a bus tomorrow. Doesn't matter how rich you are, that can happen. I could die of a heart attack. I could just, I could lose all the money. Like the whole global economy could just crash. Like that, that could happen. Like that's not a wild thing either. That's a real possibility. So it doesn't tell me anything about who I am as a person, nor about my future. Only Jesus Christ 
can say anything about who I am as a person. If I'm going to boast, I should boast in Jesus Christ. The hope that I have for the future is the hope that I have of eternal life in Jesus Christ, um, which I think leads us into uh, verse, uh, well, verse the, the end of verse 17. Therefore, really any wealth that I have in terms of me, it's just something to enjoy, like ice cream, you know? It's not something I can fill my life on or build my life on. And actually, if I try to hold on to it and hoard it for myself, it'll just melt and turn into something pretty disgusting, actually. So if I have stuff, if I'm, and I think this is a good test on whether or not I'm handling my wealth properly, am I able to enjoy it? Or am I constantly thinking about how I don't have enough or it's not as good as something else or I wish I had more or whatever? Then I'm not doing it right. I'm thinking that this wealth actually says something about me or it says something about my future rather than just enjoying it for what it is. The book of Ecclesiastes has so much to say about this, both the idea that, hey, don't count on your money, man. It's not good. It doesn't make you a better person. It's not going to fill you up. It's not going to change your future. But you know what? If you have some, go ahead and enjoy it, man. Enjoy whatever like food and drink and clothes and music and stuff. Just if you have it, it's a gift from God. Enjoy it as such, like a bowl of ice cream. Don't try to hang on to it. Otherwise, it's going to melt and be disgusting. Um, don't try to build your life on it. Fill yourself up with it either because that'll make you sick. Just enjoy it for what it is and keep it moving, but also don't just enjoy it for yourself. Think about how you could take what's been given to you and reach that out to somebody else. Yeah. Amen to that. So I had two thoughts on that. One is I saw somebody posted this earlier this week. I thought this was really, really helpful to me. He said, um, lust for the future destroys the joy of today. Yeah. Lust for the future destroys the joy of today. Um, there's a lot of truth to that. And what the attitude of a Christian ought to be, whatever I've been given today, whatever the Lord has given me today, he's given it to me and he has richly supplied me with these things to enjoy. And I need to be thankful for them. I, I shouldn't be focused on, well, I don't have this and I need that. And I, I can't wait till this or whatever. No, the Lord has given me these things to joy and I need to I need to appreciate what God has given me in the moment and learn to enjoy the things as gifts from God. One thing that will help with that, uh, especially if I'm in a position where I'm having a hard time enjoying what I have and thinking I need more or I got to have this in order to, um, to, to be content. One thing that will help with that is gratitude, taking time day by day to give thanks, not just for the big things, but for the little things. Take out a journal, start writing them down little by little one thing after another. And the more you think about all the things that you have been given to enjoy, the more you'll come to have a better mindset about them and to appreciate them and to be able to enjoy them. And then on a flip side of that, the other thing that you uh, said there struck, stood out to me is um, God didn't give me this wealth just for me to enjoy it. Um, God gave me this wealth so this, these riches, so that I could be rich in good works, yeah. so that I could be generous and ready to share. So if I'm looking around at my budget and hopefully as a Christian, if we're trying to be good stewards, then we think about like, Hey, how much money am I using in all these different areas? If I look around at, at, at my budget and, 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 and I'm seeing, Hey, I'm spending a whole lot more on me than I'm spending on, on anybody else. I'm spending a whole lot more on my pleasure, my enjoyment, not talking about just necessities like rent, be able to live, but I'm spending money on all kinds of things just for me to enjoy. And I'm spending far more on that than I am on, on uh, other people around me who I know are in need 
other people around me who, who, uh, who are hurting, other people around me who are lacking. That's a problem. And I need to ask myself like, hey, what's going on with me? This is not just for me to enjoy. God gave me this. God entrusted me with this to use it for his good in the world. And I need to look around and see, hey, who is there who's in need that I could share this with right now? Maybe I don't have somebody who's in need at this moment. Well, maybe then I should be storing that money up, but not so that I can use it on myself, not so that I can use it on myself. Once the pandemic ends, man, I'm going to take trip after trip after trip after trip after trip, and we're going to be living it up. Um, But maybe I should store up some of that to say, hey, whenever the need arises, this is ready, and I've got it ready to be generous uh, and to share uh, with those who are in need. That is how we store up for ourselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. That is how we take hold of that, which is life indeed. Um, and I think this is really critical for, for us to think about. So one, one critical question there is, that if, if, God is, if God has made me rich, if I have more than what I need, if I have more than uh, food and covering, then, uh, then how am I using what God has given me? Do I spend a lot more of it on my own pleasure and my own enjoyment? than I do on others around me who are in need? Um, Or am I eager not just to appreciate and to use what God has given to enjoy it, which this verse clearly teaches we should do, enjoy what God has given us, but also to think about the uh, needs of others around me who who don't have what I have. I think kind of to extend this uh, really practical stuff that you're turning our attention to, I think it's helpful for us to think about our wealth in our in our uh, cultural context, at least for those of us here in the states and in the Western world, for the most part, probably in just the Northern Hemisphere in general, um, is uh, wealth is more than just the amount of money you have. Uh, wealth includes like how am I using my leisure time? The idea of a weekend or uh, leisure time, as as we conceive of it, that's a pretty new thought. Like Paul doesn't talk a lot about how to use your weekends or how to use your leisure time, partly because it wasn't even a thing. It barely existed. You had to really be on purpose. I'm going to stop working for a little while, you know? Um, well, how we have a good bit of leisure time. How are we going to use that? Uh, our home, like whatever my home is, if it's a one bedroom apartment or if it's a huge house, how, how am I using that uh, gift that's been given? Am I using it purely for my enjoyment? That's good for me to enjoy it. I should. But how can I also utilize it for someone else? Uh, food, obviously. I have food. I'm able to eat. What am I doing with that? Am I just using it for my own enjoyment? Or am I also trying to figure out how I can share with those who have need? Uh, whether that be people I know or people even I don't know who I just come across who need it. Um, I mean, you can keep on going down that list of other you know, friendships. What do I do with my friends? Do I share my friends with others as well and try to include people, bring people into my circle? Or do I like kind of keeping people boxed out? This applies. I mean, he is speaking, I think, specifically of like material wealth. But this is a really expansive way uh, of thinking about or this opportunity for us to have an expansive way of thinking about the grace of God, that every gift he's given us, every good thing we have, our own physical health. You just go on down the line. uh, How can I figure out how to share those things? How can I figure out how to do good with those things? for others. Don't be ashamed if you've got good physical health. Don't be ashamed if you've got a good job. Don't be ashamed if you've got a nice place to live or whatever. There's nothing wrong with that. It's something to enjoy, something to be thankful for. Use it for the good of others, to lift others up, to exalt others. Uh, And then, like you said, what we're doing there is letting go of the things that claim to be life in this world 
and we're taking hold of the things that really are life. We're dumping out things that aren't really treasures so that we can store up real treasures for ourselves in heaven. And that's a beautiful thought. Yeah. Amen to that. I was, I was thinking about like, what does it look like for someone to live in this kind of a way? And uh, I was reminded of a, when I, when I thought about that, I was reminded of a friend, uh, a couple I knew who, who loved the Lord and they both had good jobs. Um, And so um, they decided when they got married um, that they were going to live off of one of their salary, which was enough to cover all their needs and also for them to be able to enjoy life. And the whole other salary was going to be given to other people in need or given to the Lord or given to the church or given to, um, you know, other variety of other things. I thought it was like a beautiful picture of what Paul is talking about here. If God has, has given me with more than I need in whatever area of life, then I should enjoy that and be thankful for it. And I should use it to be a blessing to other people in, in whatever ways I can. Just to get us thinking about this as we end tonight, uh, I want you guys to think about um, what are possible ways that you should revise how you deal with money and wealth. Each of us should walk away from this. If we don't walk away from this asking that question, I think we've missed the point of all this. I need to think about, hey, how do I need to change my attitude towards wealth, my attitude towards money? And then also, um, what do I rely on money to do for me? And what do I rely on God to do for me? That'll go a long way to helping me understand whether or not money is an idol or, is, or I'm using money as an idol or to pursue other idols in my life or whether or not I'm really seeking the Lord. Uh, we need to finish here. So I'm just going to share uh, quickly and then I'll turn it back to you um, in case you've got anything else you want to add, Ben. But um, th- we're coming to the end of the letter here. And in verses 20 to 21, um, Paul says to Timothy, Oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. Really, this discussion about money and our, all our discussions over the past few weeks in this letter are really about that phrase, guarding what is entrusted to you. It's about taking what God has given you and using it in a way that glorifies him and builds up people for his kingdom. And will lead to our salvation, however much we may think other things will. Yeah. That's right. This is awesome. Thanks so much. Everybody has so many really good comments. Obviously, it's on everybody's hearts, and it makes sense for so many reasons. This is a really relevant uh, topic day to day. So it's a really relevant, seems like maybe a little more so um, in maybe how what a lot of us have been experiencing the past few months. And right now, this is the season where people talk a lot about giving, which is a good thing, uh, but also maybe we can get a little too caught up in receiving too. So this is a really good discussion. I just appreciate everybody's thoughts. Thanks for uh, taking us through this uh, passage, uh, Caleb. And Lord willing, we'll, uh, we'll pick up our discussion next time. Thanks again, as always. And we'll reiterate, give any questions or follow-up comments or corrections or suggestions or whatever, we're all ears. Don't ever hesitate to reach out. Obviously, if you got either one of our personal emails or phone numbers, those are always on for anybody. But also, if you don't, you can reach out to us here on uh, on uh, the, the page here in a direct message and we can, we can chat some that way. So thanks a lot. Lord willing, we'll see you guys next time. Amen. Thanks, everybody. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.